if you could have more fulfillment and ease in your professional and personal life and still be ambitious. Join me, Kathy Onetto, founder of Sustainable Ambition, for conversations with experts, authors, and friends on what it means to live with sustainable ambition. Learn concepts, tips, and tools to craft a fulfilling career on your terms while still being ambitious and avoiding burnout. For show notes from this episode, visit sustainableambition.com slash podcast. Now, let's learn more to help you craft your career to support your life from decade to decade. On to today's conversation. Hello, hello, everyone. I am back with the solo show, and I'm just feeling compelled to talk about this topic that I'm going to talk about today. So this show is called Why I Love and Hate Arthur Brooks, the book From Strength to Strength. And like I said, I'm feeling compelled to talk about this. So let me tell you a little bit about why. And before I dig in, one of the things that I've been recognizing is that without planning to do so, I've actually landed on a theme of late talking about career inflection points and transitions. And this episode fits into that. So if you look back, I did a solo show, episode number 67, where it was a quick tip and I talked about if you don't know, what should you do? And I talked about getting into action. And then in episode 70, I followed that on with another quick tip on why to always be thinking about your next play. And I talked about how it's helpful to step into what I'm calling the sustainable ambition mindset that spells sale. And I really talked about this idea of you can avoid not knowing if you practice these mindsets. And the mindsets are probably related to actions as well, but this idea of being a seeker, being an adventurer, being an investor, and being a learner. So how can you be proactive about planning for what's next? And then in episode 72, I talked about career arcs with adventure, grace, and courage. And I talked about navigating inflection points and trying to provide a way to think about things such that you can move from feeling angst to feeling a a sense of adventure instead of feeling guilt, giving yourself some grace, and moving from feeling cautious or being cautious to having courage. So again, this episode goes along with this theme of these career inflection points, and in particular is about facing your second act. And there may be some tips in here for those of you not facing your second act that you might find helpful as well. And the headline I want you to take away from this episode is really, age doesn't matter. If we desire, I believe, we can sustain our ambitions as we age. Regardless of how you choose to define those ambitions for yourself, I believe we can still go after things that we desire. And so again, why did I want to talk about this and specifically about this book, Arthur Brooks's recent book, his latest book, From Strength to Strength? So for those of you who aren't familiar with this book, it focuses on one of these big inflection points. It focuses on the second stage of one's life and one's career. And if you haven't heard about Arthur Brooks, um, he is a Harvard professor now. He's had um, an illustrious career, and he's had multiple careers. He actually started his career as a professional violinist, um, but then moved into academia. 
as a second stage. He became a violinist at a very young age and was quite good. Um, But now he is a Harvard professor. He's a social scientist. He writes a lot about happiness and he writes for The Atlantic. And you've probably heard about him, heard of him, read some of his articles. I've even featured many of his articles in his work. And really, the core of this book, From Strength to Strength, is really about finding happiness in the second stage of life. And the the subscript of the second title of this um, of the book is really finding success, happiness, and deep purpose in the second half of life. So there you go. And while the majority of the book is actually about finding happiness in that second stage of life, as I've said many times now, um, <laughs> it's the part of the book that I do appreciate, but that's not where the book starts. The book starts by Brooks saying, Quote, your professional decline is coming much sooner than you think. That's one of his chapters. And I I think he does this um, as a way, it seems, to motivate people to really think about their careers and about work and about striving to think about it differently, as well as to start to plan for this second stage of life. And I'm going to come back to this point about professional decline in a second, because that's where I really... um, get frustrated by where how the book kind of starts and the dialogue or the way that he's framing this and the narrative that he starts to set. But first, let me tell you what I do appreciate. And one of the things that I think Brooks gets right, there's a, actually a few things I think he gets right in the book. But one is I do believe that you need to start thinking about your second act sooner than you think. But I don't think it's because we're doomed to professional decline. I think it's probably more likely that our satisfaction with our work and our ambitions are likely to change, and we need to be prepared for that. And I also, I actually started to talk about this whole point all the way back in episode number one with my guest, Jeff Tanner. And we had talked about in that episode how in Peter Drucker's book, Managing Oneself, He actually talks about this point that if you haven't started your second act well into your first act, you won't have a second act. And so this is why if we go back to my prior earlier episodes, even when I talk about, you know, thinking about your next play also sooner than you think, I think it's relevant for any time in your career. I think that's a key component that I think is is really important to embrace and to take in. And now the book From Strength to Strength also has some other strengths, if you will. There are some things that I really appreciate that he brings up in the book. I appreciate that he raises awareness that our ambition and satisfaction with work can ebb and flow and can change with life stage. I think he talks about and really raises awareness around being careful about how much we strive and how ambition can turn from being kind of good ambition that is kind of rewarding and gives us that motivation to uh, aspire and to achieve. But you need to be careful about that ambition turning into kind of bad ambition or reckless ambition. And when we strive for the wrong reasons or neglect other aspects of life that actually can support our happiness. And Brooks in this part of the book, he encourages us to kind of kick our success addiction. Um, So that I can appreciate. And to be just mindful of it and to not strive in a sense or overly strive such that we neglect these other things, as I mentioned, that can keep us happy. 
And again, he actually spends a, a good deal of the book pointing us in directions to improve our happiness and the sustainability of our lives with work. For example, he talks about kind of key elements such as not to get enamored with buying and having things and the importance of cultivating relationships. So the majority of the book has some wise things to share. They're not all new, but they're thoughtful, they're helpful, they're good reminders. But that's kind of where the love of my book, uh, love of the book ends. Again, I'm doing this episode because there are some things I get a little frustrated about. And maybe it's, maybe I shouldn't be so up in arms because uh, the core of the book has a lot of good, but it's where he starts and it's the framing of it. And I think it's a little triggering to be honest with you. And I tend to get annoyed by these types of claims um, that also seem to me, I'll say, like are a little flimsy in terms of how he starts to present this argument. Um, and I just think there could be, uh, he could have done a better job. Um, and I think some of the things he's articulating just start to set a bad precedent and I think are a, a bad narrative to be putting out into society, especially when he has such a strong voice and a lot of people are listening. And one of the reasons I'm motivated to talk about this around sustainable ambition is because one of my kind of desires with sustainable ambition is to help overturn long-held societal beliefs or norms or advice that I think is outdated and not attuned to the world today. So when I hear something that I think is wrong and a dangerous precedent um, or when I feel like people articulate absolutes, like I think uh, Brooks has in this case, but doesn't have, I think, sufficient data to support it, I tend to get a little fired up and I tend to become a contrarian, which is not my my normal way. But um, when these things happen, I do tend to step into that realm and start to question a little bit like, hmm, how true is this? So again, I think this narrative that we are kind of like doomed to decline as we age, is just a a dangerous thing to articulate and a bad precedent to set. Both, again, out in society, but also for ourselves. Like imagine if we're hearing that and just like, oh my gosh, I'm doomed to decline. What do I do now, right? And I think it's just a bad thing to put out into the world also where older workers really are important in the marketplace. And it starts to set the stage as if older workers are irrelevant. And I just don't think that's true, nor is it a very uplifting message. So it's interesting, this narrative that Brooks set out always grated on me when the first book first went out, even as I was heralding it as like interesting conversations, good points that he's making, um, but it always irritated me a little bit. And the reason that prompted me to finally do this episode was that I was reading another book that actually said the opposite. And so I'm going to share a few data points that refute, I think, in some ways what Brooks is trying to say. So instead of what Brooks says, that we're doomed to decline as we age, what if it's the opposite, that we can continue to excel and contribute as we get older? So first, let me finally tell you all, if you haven't read the book, what he even articulates as his argument. So he starts to talk about the core reason why we are doomed to decline is because the shift in our intelligence as we age. So Brooks talks about this idea of we shift as we get older from having what's called fluid intelligence to crystallized intelligence. And he pulls from research from a Raymond Cattell, 
who wrote a book around this topic. Now, they talk about this idea that fluid intelligence is the ability to think flexibly and reasonably, to be creative, and to solve novel problems. Whereas crystallized intelligence is the ability to use a stock of knowledge learned in the past. And just this claim that younger brains tend to have an abundance of fluid intelligence, while older brains have more crystallized intelligence. And Brooks puts it this way in the book. He quote, right, he writes, quote, when you are young, you have raw smarts. When you are old, you have wisdom. When you are young, you can generate lots of facts. When you are old, you know what they mean and how to use them. So that doesn't sound negative, right? That all that all sounds good. Um, but it's it's in the tone and the narrative that I really take um I take exception with how Brooks is presenting this. And frankly, the argument just feels really flimsy. There doesn't seem to be a lot there. He bases this argument just on this one form of intelligence. And I'm not the only one that's kind of saying this about his argument feeling flimsy. So, you know, I hear that he's grounded it in this uh, base of uh, research that's well-respected, but it doesn't feel holistic at all. So just as one example around that, there is other research out there that talks about the fact that we there are actually multiple types of intelligences. In particular, a Harvard psychologist actually says that humans have eight different types of intelligence, everything from like spatial intelligence to musical intelligence to linguistic intelligence, intrapersonal intelligence, et cetera. So just this idea of fluid versus crystallized intelligence really isn't a sufficient argument from my perspective. The other assumption that Brooks is making is that this idea of flink, thinking flexibly and solving novel problems is the only thing that matters in work today. And that that's the only intelligence that's important in the professional world or in the work world today. And that there aren't other intelligences that matter. And I think he's wrong in that respect. And frankly, also today, having crystallized intelligence, even just specifically, okay, utilizing his argument, having knowledge is essential. <laughs> and he talks about in the book how as we age, it could be that we step more into uh, coaching type of roles. Well, that's even today as a leader, what most leaders are being called to do, to operate more as a coach, to really step into servant leadership. So I don't really see what the problem here is in the sense of, is it really does it really mean that our professional decline is coming? The third thing that this implies in terms of stepping into this frame of intelligence that's important within work is it suggests that older people aren't creative and can't innovate. Now, around this you know, this thought that older workers aren't creative. Now, there is research that suggests that as we get older, we're not quite as creative, right? We kind of get set into our ways. And yet, it's not as if we can't train ourselves to be more creative. And frankly, I don't know about you guys or some of us that are getting into our later stages of career. I have more professional friends that as they get later into their careers are seeking creative outlets, including myself, uh, than starting to have their creativity decline. Plus, there's research that also shows that fostering your creativity as you age is actually a part of healthy aging. So it's not something that we also want to suggest to people that they not lean into. The other thing is around this idea of innovation and entrepreneurship. 
there's actually quite a bit of data out there and research out there that suggests that successful entrepreneurs are not young. They are, they're actually middle-aged. So it could also suggest that entrepreneurs, perhaps even if they've stepped into that crystallized intelligence, that's actually more important than having that fluid intelligence as an entrepreneur. The fourth thing that I want to speak to is just this idea that like what Brooks is starting to put out into the marketplace with this thought, our professional decline is coming sooner than we think, is it starts to suggest, even though he doesn't really say this, but I think he starts to suggest that older workers can't contribute at work. And that's what I think is really dangerous on a societal level to start to plant that seed, especially in a time when we actually do need workers. And frankly, there's a lot of ageism in the marketplace already. And again, this is where the data isn't on his side. There's a lot of research out there that suggests that older workers are actually more stable, the less variable day-to-day than younger workers The data actually has shown that older adults' cognitive performance was actually more consistent over time than that of younger workers, and that older employees' productivity and reliability is higher than that of younger colleagues. So it's just to say, starting this negative, this narrative rather, that is negative, that suggests that older workers can't contribute or that they're going to decline, it's just not true. And it's dangerous to put that precedent out there. And frankly, should we really even accept this narrative as we age that we're going to decline if we're ambitious and we want to continue to do more? And as I said, I was reading a book that suggested the opposite. So again, there's other data out there that suggests that success is not based on age. So where I'd point you instead is where this book I'm going to introduce talks about what's important around finding success. So I was recently reading the book, The Formula, The Universal Laws of Success by Albert Laszlo Barabasi. So Barabasi is a network scientist. He currently is a professor at Northeastern University and also holds an appointment in the Department of Medicine at Harvard Medical School. And for this book, The Formula, which is his latest one. He worked with his team of uh, other uh, researchers and those getting working on their PhDs to, to do this research that was represented in this book, The Formula, The Universal Laws of Success. So the fifth law of success that they came up with was, with persistence, success can come at any time. What I would add there is, can come at any age. So Barabasi did research with his team, looking at academics in particular, because that's where they had solid data to look at this. And what they explored was when these academics publish their most successful work. And when they dug into the data, and you can read the book, I won't take you through all of like the puts and takes of how they landed at this law. But what they eventually found was that age actually didn't matter. That each paper that the academic wrote had just as much chance of being successful, if you will, as the other, whether, whether or not it was their first paper or their last paper. And so what they found was that, you know, instead of looking at age as the reason behind what drove success, 
where they found the difference in what they could attribute to was actually productivity. And what they found was likely that when people are younger, they tend to be more productive. When they get older, they produce less. And so their finding really was, it was those that continue to be persistent, that had consistency, that kept showing up and delivering work, they had just as much likelihood of success. And he was articulating in the book that success is even more about really finding where should you apply yourself? Where is it best to apply your strengths and make an impact and have contribution? And then your willingness to try repeatedly, be consistent, be persistent. And there was an example of this that we read about recently, a Harold, I'm going to get this wrong, uh, a Harold Shiraga, who is a Cornell University protein chemist who was in his 90s. He was the oldest NIH investigator. He had been contributing since 1947, publishing more than 1,200 papers. And even in 2008, so he started in 1947, in 2008, he had written 20 papers. And he had had this to say, quote, I'm very productive and making good progress. I'll keep going as long as I'm sane and my health is holding up. Only when somebody, my peers or myself, says that my science is washed up will I quit. I just love that. It's just a great example of what Barry Bassey and his researchers found. And there are plenty other examples out there of what many call late bloomers. I mean, if you take former... Madeline Albright, you know, she described herself this way. She found politics at the age of 39. She became the first female secretary of state and had continued to be active in her 60s, 70s, and into her 80s. You take actress Helen Mirren. She's been getting better roles now in her 60s and 70s and beyond than she got when she was younger. And she won the Academy Award for the Queen in 2007 at the age of 61. You have someone like Diane Nyad who swam from Cuba to Florida when she was 64. Or even take famed architect Frank Gehry, who designed significant museums like the Guggenheim Museum Balboa in his late 60s and early 70s. So there are a lot of examples out there to inspire us and to help us not think that we're just doomed to decline, as Brooks suggests. So I suggest not to buy into it and to believe instead that it's never too late. So again, to where to point you instead, if you want to sustain your ambition, first, figure out where is it best to apply yourself? What value do you want to add? How is it best for you to contribute and to apply your strengths? And then once you've found that space, that niche, where you really want to contribute, continue to be persistent and consistent with your work. Be productive. And the final thing I'll bring in here because of what Barabasi writes about and the importance that we've talked about here on the podcast as well around community. So Barabasi talks about a number of the other laws are around how important community is, your network, what have you, not surprising from a network scientist. And that's part of what probably brought him into this work. But the community and who you surround yourself with matters as well. And that community can really help motivate you, keep you inspired to keep producing And they can also help support your work and get the voice around your work out into the marketplace. So again, to wrap up, just I encourage you, don't let this narrative that Arthur Brooks is putting out there and that I'm highlighting, I recognize this idea of 
Our professional decline is coming sooner than we think. Don't take it to heart. Yes, I believe that we all need to be planning for our our next play sooner than we think. And I think we are wise to always be taking actions and taking risks that can support figuring out what our next play is. So I advocate that. But again, it's not about our age. It's never too late, nor frankly, is it ever too early. Instead, really think about, like, what do you get fired up about? What do you want to be ambitious about? What's holding your attention? And to what do you want to aspire? And then get to work and just be consistent and be persistent. So with that, thanks for listening today. As always, if you have any feedback or want to send me a listener question, or if you want to send on topics you'd like me to consider to cover here on the podcast, send me an email at podcast at sustainableambition.com. And then as I've been sharing on some of these solo episodes, I now have a way for you to send me a voice voice note or question. And you can do that at bit.ly slash sapodcast-ask. So ask me a question that I might answer here on the podcast, or if you prefer, you can do so there. Just share a podcast topic or feedback that way. I'd love to hear from you. So thanks again for listening. Be well, all. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Sustainable Ambition Podcast. I hope you take away at least one learning or inspiration from today's conversation. Find more inspiring interviews and get show notes for this episode at sustainableambition.com slash podcast. Make sure you don't miss an episode or my insider tips, guides, and tools by signing up for Sustainable Ambition Forum, my twice monthly newsletter. Sign up at sustainableambition.com slash subscribe. And remember, it's not about finding work-life balance. It's about building work-life resilience. Thanks again for joining me. Speak with you next time.